Love Talk Radio. Chillin' for knees, just see how the thing like that. It's so glad that Hunter Chillin' to tune in one more again to We Show, Gully Geechee Rhythm Radio. This year, the Queen Quet had fun, the body of the Gully Geechee Nation. So glad that Hunter tune in to Gully Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. We have a Monday evening with a key upliftment to the living legacy and a pay ancestral homage. Great God, the Satan. We will make sure for dedicate this your program. Not only one more again to the Honorable Dr. Carter G. Wilson. But we also want to dedicate this year program to WW Law. We want to dedicate this year program to Satina Poinsett Clark. We want to dedicate the Mama Seppi, as we call them around here. We want to dedicate this year program to folks like we late great Galagichi ancestor Philip Simmons as well. This year evening, let me take a moment of silence. Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. So for all the hundred children who ain't been on stand, Philip Simmons been a one week, a walking medal. And the hundred children of Gwine, Charleston, even now, and things like that, they hundred can see all these gear, that thing all wrong and up through the city and things like that. And Mr. Simmons been back. And then even London should take. When it be did it, and Daniel Allen, another similar man, been a lunar, but how this year? It be born for Daniel Allen and moved downtown, and after that, it carried that gift with him all around. And even there, young enough, in this year, National Museum of African American History, we're going to be the last one, we're going to build in Capitol Hill and things like that. It's going to have a gift and things like that there. The other evening, they come across my foot, where Mr. Philip Simmons been back for me years and years ago. So we thank God for him. God bless the dead. And then, Mama Seppi, been the one we were learning with, with the Freedom School and things like that. And so she been the London chillin' vote itself during this year time we be called segregation and things like that. And then, of course, the Dr. Carter G. Woodson, the who the founder of Black History Month, African Heritage Month, and now why we want to take this time this evening but I dedicate these your program and things like that to all of them and to all of we ancestors them who in a fight for whole of your land, for fight for Lun we Huida, for Lun we how for Flip for Kashmar, for Red Us, to make sure that Hunter House standing with all of what Hunter to do and for get your education. <laughs> 
I read of us. I think Mr. Philip Simmons let me know. He had everything fine. But after some point, when I have to go and get up off the honey and go out on and do something. So this year evening, we got crack. We teach the planet and chiller who had the revelation for revolution and who going to stand up for we and who going out on and do something. Yeah? So now anytime, hold on, more. Yeah, they move with these kind of things like that. We want to make sure you follow we blog and thing at GullahGeechiNation.com. GullahGeechiNation.com. And Hunter and Guayana and things like that. You can have plenty of other rest of things. We'll follow up these broadcasts and things for Hunter Lund, Mobile, Who EV. And Red of Us, make sure for follow we at GullahGeechie. You can follow we at GullahGeechie on Twitter and Instagram. Follow GullahGeechiNation on Facebook. And follow Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio on Facebook. But most of the time, make sure for going to gullahgeechee.net, gullahgeechee.net, for make sure you connect up with the sponsor this year broadcast and thing, what is the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. Because we got plenty of things with there. We archive where we go crack we teeth from this evening. And plenty of things I've been a kind cross while we are to digitize and things like that, and the prep for all of the children we're coming in next month, what a Gullah Geechee volunteer month, for work with we right here as well. So on the children can email me anytime after on the study for some of these things, at gullgeeko at aol.com, G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at aol.com. On the children can go on you on there, and then let me know what's going on and how we for Yeti from Hunter, but the thing was Hunter the Lund, especially with Hunter the Lund, Panya. And we want to say thank you, thank you to all the Hunter children at 100,000 or so. Yeti, this your show. And read of us, them will subscribe. And a Yeti, them across your iTunes and things like that, to download them. And read of us, them with a sham all through the social network. Because when you start with revolution, revelation, revelation sometimes comes through the lee, 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 lee time. And then I'll leave it a light to come through the hole. And then honey, see that yonder and wonder where they're coming from. And it may kind of start on journey to go on in that other rest of direction. So we are crack we teeth, but some of these same one y'all who they help we for going in the right direction and things like that. We know it just a good honor for Kazi Woodson for this year, this evening. So for all the listeners and things what they all around the world, we're going to crack we teeth the other rest of the way so the honey can stand too, yeah? Okay. So, for all of my listeners around the world, this is Queen Quet, Chiefess and Head of State for the Gullah Geechee Nation. I definitely want to thank a group of young folks that I spent the last part of this afternoon and multi I was in meetings most of the afternoon, but the last thing I did was an interview for a project about our metered songs. So I want to thank Ron and Tamara and my Mikeella because I really appreciated working with them and appreciated the questions they asked about our songs. And in particular, we started talking about the concepts that I was relating to, where I was connecting metered lining hymns to the polyrhythms and the shout and to our tradition of the spirituals and how in each case, all of these things had spiritual power because they were those that drew us back to centering, drew us together by spirits and helped us get revelation, helped us have devotion to the Spirit of God, and how that has been the faith that has kept our people through all times and through all things. And when I sit back each year and I begin to reflect on the miseducation of the Negro, the souls of black folks, these types of works, the miseducation of the Negroes written by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, the founder of Black History Month. And if you want more history on Black History Month, please make sure to go back in the archives for this show. You can go either through blogtalkradio.com slash Gullah Geechee, and Gullah is G-U-L-L-A-H, and Geechee is G-E-E-C-H-E-E, Blog Talk Radio slash Gullah Geechee, or you can go to iTunes as well and download all the previous episodes of this broadcast for free. But definitely you can go back this month and later on in the week you'll be able to go on to our blog, GullahGeecheeNation.com, GullahGeecheeNation.com, and click on the link Queen Quet as well as Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Education links. 
and you will find documentation and details about the opening of this month. There's already some articles there, and we have a couple more articles coming through this week on the blog for you to supplement the things that we've been talking about here on this broadcast. And for those who tuned in last week, you know that I started to read from the Miseducation of the Negro, and I'm going to continue that tonight, but I also want to bring in some additional materials that are critical because when we're talking about a topic like revelation and revolution, there are a number of people that it's just like Tracy Chapman would say to talk about a revolution, but it sounds like a whisper because people don't actually want to enlighten themselves and people don't want to, like my friends, the last poets would say, and are scared of revolution because don't talk about revolution until you're willing to eat rats and roaches to survive. And so a lot of people are at the point where, they think that they're doing something revolutionary because they think they're the first to do something that someone else hasn't done. So they kind of throw this term around willy-nilly, or they pin it on people when they don't agree or can't under or overstand what it is that the person is doing. But let's look at how the American Dictionary defines revolution a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system, an instance of revolving, in other words, turning around, is a revolution. So 360 is a revolution. And so when you talk about the forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system, that's the thing that's often thrown around, but a lot of people aren't really ready for that, okay? But now... When you talk about standing on your human rights to self-determination, you have to realize that that is revolutionary. But in order for you to have the vision to recognize it, you would have had to have some sort of revelation. Now let's go to that definition. A surprising and previously unknown fact, especially one that's made known in a dramatic way, or the divine or supernatural disclosure to humans of something relating to human existence or the world. We're going to deal with the latter, the divine disclosure to humans of something relating to human existence or the world. What was revealed, our revelation, was that we had the human right to self-determination. As a result of us recognizing and believing that we had this divine revelation, it gave us clear vision in the third eye to move forward in acting upon this in favor of a new system of operation that would protect Gullah Geechee history, heritage, culture, and tradition. While at the same time, Leaders of the Gullah Geechee Nation, people who are now here as our elected officials, our appointed officials, our Wisdom Circle Council of Elders, as well as our Assembly of Representatives, along with many who have now passed into the realm of the sacred ancestors who were serving in those capacities, had this revelation of revolution. As we did so, just like the shaft grew up, with the, with the wheat, the tares and the wheat grow together. You had the same scenario that we've dealt with in the context of black history or our story over generations. There is always this juxtaposing characterization that goes on. You have Booker T. Washington versus W.E.B. Du Bois. You have Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King Jr. People like to pit us in that manner, even when it's not for us a battle of someone else versus the other. It's just that one is conveying one aspect of things from one system, and another may be conveying an aspect of things from another system, but not necessarily that we are in this competition and this adversarial position, but it benefits others who are not of our cultural group, not of our ethnicity, not of our race, if we're pitted against one another because there cannot be unity when we're fighting each other and we're doing these battles in public, no less. And so 
They make money off of publicizing these things. They're still making money off of having courses and discourse and, and intellectual discussions about these things, but no one is looking at the revelation of the compilation of the materials that all of the aforementioned people have left us to study, to reveal, to know, to have more things that we can do actual intervention with. It's not divine. It's just us intervening and not allowing the current generation to miss what it is that they need to know. As I said to those interviewing me today, if So in order for us to effectively go forward, to have revolutionary thought, much less human rights movements that truly move us to a better system of operation in the world to protect all people's rights, we need to start at home first. We need to start amongst our own groups of people first. When we talk about a Black History African Heritage Month celebration, some people were stunned that I had a room full of Anglo people that came to the last presentation about Zora Neale Hurston at the St. Helena Branch Library. But let's be honest, how many people of African descent actually have read Zora Neale Hurston's books? What course have you ever taken where that was part of the curriculum? And now with people's short attention spans and people wanting to listen more than they read, that has gotten to the point that if you make a video longer than one minute long for Facebook, they may not watch it all the way through. How many people are actually going to sit down with a novel the length of their eyes of watching God and actually read it cover to cover, which is what we're doing with the big read? And now if there's nothing dramatic and controversial a la Reality television, people get bored by it. People get bored by revelation unless they're considered new age people now. So you have sort of these extremes going on now, pitting those who are, we would say, the reality TV generation against those who are what people call the new age or the more intellectual, the heady ones, versus the ones who want the quick fix, the popcorn, microwave generation, give me this, give it to me fast, give it to me short, give it to me succinct, I don't want to hear the rest of that. Don't ask me to actually read an entire history book, much less a whole novel. We're not getting into all that debate over that, but I argue with you all day long about what came on a television show the other night and who the characters are. I know everybody on there by name, like they're my best friends. So we're in a whole different scenario of things, a whole different type of time frame than this time frame where these intellectuals that I mentioned earlier actually debated one another, wrote to newspapers, wrote papers, published books, were lecturers in various arenas. And depending on whose side they were on was who got hired to come and speak, who got the donation, who got the check to their institution, to their organization to forward that agenda. What's interesting about agendas, revelation, revolution, because the agendas of people who are against human rights became so rapidly apparent within the last 10 years since we got the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Act, it has been absolutely amazing. It has been no less amazing than to see racism rear its ugly head after a simple halftime show took place at this year's Super Bowl over a song and over a tribute to the 50th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party. And for all of my listeners who has PBS, check and see if your local broadcasts are showing the Vanguard of Revolution documentary on PBS tomorrow evening at 9 p.m. about the background and the history of the Black Panther Party. And then when you finish doing that, please take the time also to go and find a film called The Deacons of Defense. That film is well done. You can find it on Amazon. Go and see or purchase this for your collection, The Deacons of Defense, because most people don't realize that the Black Panther logo came from them basically paying homage to those who predated them, who were the Deacons of Defense. All right? 
So once again, when we start looking at it, there are those who want to have total erasure of any revelation, of any revolutionary acts that would advance the cause of native Gullah Geechee traditionalists who can articulate in the way that they so see fit about their culture, their traditions, and their community, but while uplifting that community and not exploiting that community for the benefit of nonprofit organizations and historic sites that are actually not run by native Gullah Geechee. There may be black folks in office that are not Gullah Geechee. So you have people who have been miseducated, which is what we talk about here, the miseducation of the Negro, that anything that does not fit what is going to be palatable to those who are not of African descent is something you should not support. It's something you should do away with. It's something that needs to be hidden. It needs to be, you know, not spoken of, especially not in public. Well, I remember one time when we've been a crackly teeth, like I said, they've been to say the same thing, say we've been a crack here and telling us children can't do that. Okay, so at one point when we were just speaking that way, we weren't supposed to do it in public. We're not supposed to do that. We need to do away with that. Once again, I refer you to one of my favorite films, as painful as it is, A Soldier Story, which I saw a soldier's play and then also saw a soldier's story. Another one for your collection. Understand the dynamics between Sarge and CJ, and you'll understand the dynamics that are used to try to pit us against one another. But here it is that Carter G. Woodson and all his wisdom said, quote, one can cite cases of Negroes who opposed emancipation and denounced the abolitionists, end quote. Yes, think about that today. Does that make sense to you that Negroes, quote, unquote, people of African descent would actually oppose emancipation? meaning getting out of enslavement, getting out of bondage, and that they would denounce people who were abolitionists, the very people who were putting their own lives on the line and in jeopardy to help other people be free, whether those abolitionists were other people of African descent, they were people of indigenous American descent, or they were Anglo people, didn't matter. Any of the above were putting their lives in jeopardy. I've done a great deal of research, and part of our Al-Kabulan archive here is an entire section dedicated to the Underground Railroad. I was one of the people that helped to forward the Underground Railroad from being the Underground Railroad study and ushered in the unveiling of our logo for the Underground Railroad Network to freedom. Worked with it, was on that train, helped laying them tracks for many, many years with many other historians and scholars and descendants of the abolitionists, of the conductors of the Underground Railroad. So when we start to talk about there were black people denouncing those who wanted to be emancipated and those who were the very abolitionists, well, we can still say that we have those that oppose emancipation because complete and utter freedom and human rights is things that they cannot tolerate. They will tell you, oh, you're too radical. Oh, well, you should tone it down. Oh, well, maybe you shouldn't talk about this. Well, let's go back in our story. Let's look at why that might be, why many of the leaders of the Gullah Geechee Nation have it yet in their minds, their hearts, their spirits to play that drum, to denounce enslavement not those who are trying to release folks from being enslaved. Let's just take a page from the legacy of Igbo landing, Gullah roots of African-American culture. Now, I could go to the very simple fact of our ancestors who were part of the Igbos of Nigeria, who simply walked back, their spirits went back to the motherland rather than being bondage. But we can always deal with that at another time. I want to deal with the percentages of the Africans that came over. So I'm going to go into the section that a lot of people who meet me are very intrigued to find out about. That gives us the percentages of many of the Africans that came over. And so I'm going to start here. 
quote, when percentages are calculated for the eight known regions of Africa, without other Africans and without West Indian importations, some 39% are identified as from the Congo-Angola area or Central Africa, 20% from Senegambia, 23% from the Windward Coast plus adjacent Sierra Leone, 13% from the Gold Coast, and only 4% from the neighboring Bites of Benin and Biafra combined. Thus, the whole east-west coast, the Guinea coast, apparently contributed less than 20%, and very few came from Mozambique and Madagascar. However, the role of the West Indies must not be overlooked, for the majority of enslaved were brought to these islands from the Guinea coast. The time of arrival is also significant. In the early period of 1716-44, three-fourths of the 22,117 Africans imported into Charleston came from Angola, a fact that explains their influence on later arrivals. Now, the reason I mention this, and many of you who are fans on the Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook fan page, you have seen our Weeby series that has started, Weeby 1, Weeby Gullah Geechee number 1, and Weeby Gullah Geechee number 2 are up already, and another one will be coming up this week. Very short pieces that help to explain some of the arrival here, some of who we are from back yonder to today, how come we're here, where our language comes from, all of these things that I often get questions about and the Gullah Geechee Sea Coalition has been getting questions about for the some 19 years, almost 20, that we have been in existence. We have been asked these kind of questions on a weekly basis. And truly to help enlighten the next generation, we started these small pieces that can be shared and we pray that they will go viral and that people will have them to share. They're also available on Gullah Geechee TV on YouTube. And if you go to Gullah TV, again, Gullah is G-U-L-L-A-H. Geechee is G-E-E-C-H-E-E. There is no I in Geechee. If you go to Gullah Geechee TV, you can also find them there, and you can just go to our Gullah Geechee TV station on YouTube, and you can also find these short clips there. And share them, please, with your family, your community, your friends, your church members, your mosque members, and so on. So they will start to grasp who we are and who we are. So you notice that in the second component, we discuss the fact that many of the people who have the name Gullah is because they were Angolan. Now, the Angolans is who also our blacksmiths largely came from. They had that skill set. They brought that in to this land. And people who work in metal tend to often be warrior class people. So if you're warrior class, you are going to fight. You are known to fight. You're not just going to sit down, kowtow, and succumb to the circumstances. So you're likely to be on the abolitionist side. You are likely to be the self-emancipator. You are likely to be the person in the forefront getting out of there, feeling that there has to be somewhere better than this, even if I don't know what else might be out in front of me. You're not the person to just say, oh, well, they're going to do to me whatever they're going to do. Where would I go? So when you talk about the influence that those who lay the foundation have on the others that are coming, it is a situation that for someone who is anti this ability to thrive, survive, fight, they constantly seek ways to uproot that spirit, to change that ability, to weaken the people. In other words, kill it before it grow. So they want to uproot those who still are the freedom fighters amongst the Gullah Geechis because the more enlightened they become, they have more revelation, and the more revelation they have, they want to share that. And the more that they share that, others will realize that a system of bondage and enslavement, whether that is a 
system of chattel enslavement, or that is the system of today's wage enslavement, or that is the system of taking out a mortgage against your land that your ancestors fought for, blood, sweat, and tears is in, that's outright paid for, and instead now you put it up and the bank owns it and the bank owns you because you have to work for the bank. If we now enlighten one another that, wait a minute, that was never the way our ancestors went. Most of our elders didn't go that way. We don't have to go that way. We become the problem. I just said to someone within the last couple of hours, you know, I became the pariah and I became the problem when I started telling people that about who we truly are and not kowtowing to these versions of us that make it palatable to other people that treat us as if we're entertainment pieces, that treat us as if we are not intellectuals in any sort of way. And for me to speak out, I'm wrong. They say, yeah, but you ain't wrong, though. I said, but see, that's how they feel. And that's how they, And then they told people to stay away from me because I was too radical. So we go back to when Carter G. Woodson talks about that here it was that you had Negroes, and we still do, have those who denounce emancipation. Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. You heard me answer this question as we talked about Wilmington on fire in North Carolina. If you watch Gullah Geechee TV, you've seen that panel discussion. You see that I was given that quote from Bob Marley and asked to expound upon it. How... Art can influence social justice. It can if the person who is the artist has a form of revelation wherein they're not creating art for this, the beauty of it, for something just to look at, but to have it be something that can enlighten. But now why is it that anybody then would want to denounce People who seek to do that. Why wouldn't you want a group of people enlightened? Why wouldn't you want them to be inspired and have divine revelation? Why would you be against this form of revolutionary thought and action? Why wouldn't you want self-sufficient, independent people so that they're not a burden on anybody's system? They're taking care of themselves, and they would then leave that which will take care of future generations. The only reason you wouldn't want it is because not a financial benefit to you. That's what we're up against. Do we want truth or do we want tourism here in the Gullah Geechee Nation? If you'll notice this month, a lot of articles are coming out all trying to drive tourism to one particular resort island, getting people there so people can make tourist dollars, not getting people there to keep the Gullah Geechis there, because in all the years that this event's been going on, more Gullah Geechis have gotten displaced from the island. It has not benefited the people because folks have decided to buy into a system that now has a lot of events at venues that are not owned. Well, from the beginning, I guess it was that way, that are at venues that are not Gullah Geechee owned. So here it is. Who's benefiting then? Who, by promoting these things that are sponsored by the very people who displace most of the people whose culture it is and the others who stood by and idly watched them go? because they themselves were still making a couple little dollars. Well, we can back up in time to last week, where I left off reading, but back up even further to when Carter G. Woodson published his work, The Miseducation of the Negro. And I again encourage you to purchase this book before this month ends and read it in honor and homage Carter G. Woodson, God bless the dead. I want to pick up in chapter 2, called How We Missed the Mark. And he says, quote, How we have arrived at the present state of affairs can be understood only by studying the forces effective in the development of Negro education, since it was systematically undertaken immediately after emancipation. To point out merely the defects as they appear today, will be of little benefit to the present and future generations. These things must be viewed in their historic setting. 
The conditions of today have been determined by what has taken place in the past. And in a careful study of this history, we may see more clearly the great theater of events in which the Negro has played a part. We may understand better what his role has been and how well he has functioned in it. The idea of educating the Negroes after the Civil War was largely a prompting of philanthropy. Their white neighbors failed to assume this responsibility. These black people had been liberated as a result of sectional conflict out of which their former owners had emerged as victims. From this class, then, the freedmen could not expect much sympathy or cooperation in the effort to prepare themselves to figure as citizens of a modern republic. End quote. I stop there because I need to give you more context for this. I make no assumptions that everyone listening has tuned into this show over the years, or that everyone listening has read the materials that we have in the Gullah Geechee Al-Kabulan archive that we've shared here over the years. I make no assumptions that you even watch documentaries about what we would call the big shoot and started thing like that, that you, Civil War, that you read about it, that you know about the emancipation period and what followed. But I will say to you this. We are 151 years since the beginning of the Reconstruction period, which means the end of the U.S. Civil War period, the period in which Dr. Carter G. Woodson is making reference in these materials. Now, he points out something very clearly, that the idea of educating the Negro after the Civil War was largely a prompting of philanthropy. So there were certain people, and we've done some episodes here about Black Philanthropy Month, and we support Black Philanthropy Month, and we support Black Philanthropy all year long. And, in fact, I'm still calling on all our listeners, all our supporters, to do what I did today. Give your checks to St. Helena Fill the Shelves so that we can continue to fill these shelves with more materials in the library so that there can be these materials available when someone does want to read or read to their children and their community and their family about what all has gone on with us. But when we're talking about this period-ending Civil War, there weren't a whole lot of, quote-unquote, black folk, Negro folk around. That could be philanthropic. Today we have multimillionaires and we have billionaires who are philanthropic. And if you are on Facebook, you often see us posting imagery and things that we're learning, the revelations we're having of the different people of African descent who a lot of them are going to Africa and opening schools and helping in villages. I wish they would go right back home to their own towns, their own islands, their own cities, their own neighborhoods and make sure they do that there first and then go out. My mom and them said charity begin at home and then go abroad. We have many, many Gullah Geechee football players and multimillionaires. I have yet to see them ever donate anything to the Gullah Geechee Angel Network or to the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. Someone said, well, they ain't obligated. Well, I also looked for their own foundations because maybe I wanted to donate to those. Many of them don't have foundations of their own. So, again, all of that is tied to philanthropy. Can we get some support from you? Can we just get a little bit of help from you? You have the financial resources or even your celebrity that can help support some of the causes and the things we are doing to fundraise. Please bring it all home. But so here it is when we talk about educating Negroes after the Civil War being a prompting of philanthropy, we are not talking about amongst other people of African descent. We're talking about the fact that it was the people who were not people of African descent who was prompted to this. Now, here on St. Helena Island, a lot of that philanthropy came in from the outside through missionaries, through Anglo people that came from up north that sent this money in and wanted to support. We also have a number of the multimillionaire to billionaire families now that I won't name a bunch of their names, but they stayed on this coast and their donations and contributions to various libraries and Negro schoolhouses and so forth caused a lot of these things to be built. But 
when he said it very nicely, their white neighbors failed to assume this responsibility because these black people have been liberated as a result of sectional conflict out of which their former owners had emerged as victims. In other words, the people who had been enslaving them now felt victimized because they found that the happy singing Negroes that they thought they had that were just so comfortable to be enslaved and would never do them wrong, they actually saw the same people turn around, pick up guns, and go fight on the Union side and come back to the land in blue uniforms. Beaufort County, South Carolina is a prime example. Charleston County, South Carolina, prime example. When we celebrate Emancipation Day annually here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, it is because we got the revelation of how true emancipation took place here. But that is because people were already owning land during the Civil War. They had had something to protect. As I said to someone yesterday, keep in mind, the people who had the ability to vote, were actually men who owned land when the voting started. It was men who owned land and largely white men who owned land. We're now reading some materials about New York, which is, of course, in a place of enslavement as well, New York City, and how things had been structured there when they put a ban on enslavement. When they abolished enslavement in New York City, it made it no easier for people of African descent there. And those who tried to vote proved how much property they owned. Again, the men, the women still were not included. There was no such thing as women's suffrage. And if you go to this week's episode of Gullah Geechee TV or last week's episode of Gullah Geechee TV, that actually shows my presentation, The Eye Upon God, about Zora Neale Hurston, you will actually hear me talk a bit about why black women ain't had no time to be engaged in women's suffrage marches and movements. So when we go here and talk about philanthropy, who had the money to be philanthropic? The money that Gullah Geechee's had, they pulled together to buy land, then to maintain the ownership of the land, to work the land. They had to have tools. They had to have farm animals. They had to have these things that would make the land viable and sustainable, and then they had to feed their families. So everybody, little churn, onto the grown people were working. That's why many didn't go to the schools when the schools did get built. But guess who wasn't trying to help you build none? Not the buck or them who land on them, they been fun. You understand? So the buckers who thought that this was their land and you're on it, and what do you mean you have a deed to it? I'm not going to tolerate this. You think they're going to turn around while they now are broke because you now own their asset and give money to you? Not going to happen. So we have to look at the context of this. Now, like they said, the freedmen couldn't expect much sympathy or cooperation in this effort to prepare themselves to figure citizens of a modern republic, because that was now the new republic that was forming when the Emancipation Proclamation was read, and then we went into this period of Reconstruction. This was supposed to be a rebuilding of the country. It was being reconstructed. You had a new republic. Now, we're going to keep going. Quote, from functionaries of the United States government itself and from those who participated in the conquest of the secessionists early came the plan of teaching these freedmen the simple duties of life as worked out by the Freedmen's Bureau and philanthropic agencies. When systemized, this effort became a program for the organization of churches and schools and the direction of them alongside which had been considered most conducive to the progress of people otherwise circumstanced. Here and there, some variation was made in this program in view of the fact that the status of freedmen in no way paralleled that of their friends and teachers, but such thought was not general. When the Negroes in some way would learn to perform the duties which other elements of the population had prepared themselves to discharge, they would be duly qualified, it was believed, to function as a citizen of the country. And as much as most Negroes lived in the agricultural south, moreover, and only a few of them at first acquired small farms, there was little in their life which any one of thought could have easily understood. The poverty 
which afflicted them for generations after emancipation, held them down to the lowest order of society, nominally free but economically enslaved. The participation of the freedmen in government for a few years during the period known as Reconstruction had little bearing on their situation except that they did join with the undereducated poor whites in bringing about certain much-desired social reforms, especially in giving the South its first plan of democratic education and providing for a school system at public expense. Neither this inadequately supported school system nor the struggling higher institutions of a classical order established about the same time, however, connected the Negro very closely with life as it was. These institutions were concerned rather with life as they hoped to make it. When the Negro found himself deprived of influence in politics, therefore, and at the same time unprepared to participate in the higher functions and the industrial development which this country began to undergo, it soon became evident to him that he was losing ground in the basic things of life. He was spending his time studying about things which he had not been, had been, or might be, but he was learning little to help him to do the better task at hand. Since the Negroes believed that the causes of this untoward condition lay without the race, migration was attempted and immigration to Africa was again urged. At this psychological moment came the wave of the industrial education which swept the country by storm. The educational authorities in the cities and the states throughout the Black Belt began to change the course of study to make the training of the Negro conform to this policy. The missionary teachers from the North, in defense of their idea of more liberal training, however, fearlessly attacked the new educational policy, and the Negroes participating in the same dispute arrayed themselves respectively on one side or the other. For a generation thereafter, the quarrel as to whether Negroes should be given a classical or practical education was the dominant topic in Negro schools and churches throughout the United States. Labor was the most important thing of life, it was argued. Practical education counted in reaching that end, and the Negro worker must be taught to solve this problem of efficiency before directing attention to other things. Others more narrow-minded than the advocates of industrial education seized upon the idea, feeling that although the Negro must have some semblance of education, it would be a fine stroke to be able to make a distinction between the training given the Negro and that provided for the whites. Inasmuch as the industrial education idea rapidly gained ground, too, many Negroes, for political purposes, began to espouse it, and schools and colleges hoping thereby to obtain money worked out accordingly makeshift provisions for such instruction, although they could not satisfactorily offer it. A few real industrial schools actually equipped themselves for this work and turned out a number of graduates with such preparation. Unfortunately, however, the affair developed into a sort of battle of words, for in spite of all they said and did, the majority of Negroes, those who did make some effort to obtain an education, did not actually receive either the industrial Negroes attended industrial schools, took such training as was prescribed, and received their diplomas, but few of them developed adequate efficiency to be able to do what they were supposedly trained to do. The schools in which they were educated could not provide for all the experience with machinery which the white apprentices and factories had. Such industrial education as these Negroes received then was merely to master a technique already discarded in progressive centers. And even in less complicated operations of industry, these schools had no such facilities as to parallel the numerous processes of factories conducted on the plan of the division of labor, except what value such training might have in the development of the mind by making practical applications of mathematics and science, then it was a failure, end quote. Practical applications of math and science. Of course, I'm biased there because I am a mathematician and a computer scientist. Of course, for me, I can see daily the practical application of math and science, whether I go all the way back 
to my ancestors who did come in from the Windward Coast, as was mentioned in the reading from Legacy of Ebo Landing earlier, and how they reconstructed a cultural landscape here in the Sea Islands, how they revolutionized the system of producing Carolina gold rice by the ton on Sea Islands surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean, salt water, where you need fresh water to actually grow rice. Here it is that practical application of math and science had been a succeeding element of building the infrastructure of the colonies, but for whose benefit? And now you mean to tell me that people could have regressed to the point where they now didn't know how to use the practical application of math and science to progress for themselves? Even today, we have people in the Gullah Geechee Nation who are antithetical to learning how to efficiently use their computers. I have seen people in the public spaces using computers that are there because they don't even have computers still at home. Everybody has a phone, a smartphone, and not use it for the smart purposes for which it was designed. So that we can use practical application in forwarding an agenda of getting people to support our own economics of the Gullah Geechee Nation, to have revelation that if you were to spend more money, math again, calculate the spending in your own community that you do versus what you spend outside, then go back and calculate the losses of institutions and the losses of organizations in your community versus the increase of institutions and organizations in other communities. These are the types of practical applications that we need to be thinking about. This is where the revelation has to come. You have to be enlightened. You have to now transform your mind from thinking, it doesn't matter where I spend, I just want the cheapest one, to realizing that wherever you spend your money is where you're investing. And now if we sit here and are pitted against each other where you are still steady fighting over this. You're picking one side or another. As you hear Carter G. Woodson mention it once again, some Negroes was on one side of the issue about what type of education was better and others on the other side. The same thing goes on now. Whether or not we should educate one another about the truth and the reality of enslavement, that it wasn't fun, it wasn't a happy thing, and Negroes out here, that there were those who fought back. Everybody did not just stay on the plantation, and that if it happened right now, it would be the same thing. Some would run, some would fight, and some would sit right there and do whatever it took to not have to do anything for themselves and hope that Maz and them trauma leave it or something from inside the house. So that is the reality. Now, you're offended by it? That shoe must wear your foot or that boot must wear your foot. If you listen, you upset, okay, because there are too many books out here. There have been too many documentaries. There are now too many dramatic films that enlighten you about the horrors of enslavement the horrors of racism, the horrors of the of what has happened as people went into the Jim Crow era and integration, integration, all right, the horrors of it. What has happened to so many of our minds through integration has been getting those who could be bought off easily to now try to stop the others who realize how to learn something and then have a practical application of it to benefit your own community. Be someone who was, as they used to tell us, a credit to your race. It is not meaning you're against another race because you are a good person of your own race. That is insane if that's what you think. When people told us that you are benefit or credit to your race, that meant, well, wow, your own folk should be very proud of you. They should be happy you're part of them. And why did they say that? Because if you was in a group, they'd be proud. They'd be happy to say they on a winning team with you as opposed to us fighting against each other, that every time someone gets enlightenment and tries to share it so that you can use it for practical application for your freedom, you want to denounce them. How dare you come 
and try to abolish my enslavement, my chosen enslavement. How dare you? So I dare you. I dare any of my listeners who disagree with human rights, please write me. G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. Please do it. Please write me. Give me your real name. Please write. Come out to some of the events and activities. Debate us on why Gullah Geechee should not stand for their human rights and their self-determination. Tell me why we have no right to do that. Tell me why we should only be looked at as a museum oddity, a piece that can be in photographs to be placed on the wall of the National Museums being built that can just be those who serve you food in the resort areas when you come to the Sea Islands or in the restaurants, but we're not supposed to own and operate our own restaurants for you to come and to support and our own bed and breakfasts and our own hotels for you to come and support. Tell me, tell me why we don't have the right to do that. Tell me what side you want. And I can go back and I'm sure find you some more quotes from Carter G. Woodson. I'm sure that I could then find which group you stem from that might have been on those ships of enslavement that weren't Igbo, that weren't Angolan, that weren't the ones to fight back. Or had you been watered down? Had you been the ones who didn't get the education about practical application? Or were you scared to study? Because that's the difference. You have an option today that Black History Month can be every day of every year. It don't have to be February 1st to February 29th. It can be every single moment, every day, that you can educate and enlighten yourself and educate and enlighten others, and then that allows people to be empowered if they take it to heart, they take it to soul, and definitely if they transform their mind. So in the last couple of minutes, I'm going to open up the phone line like I usually do, 347-324-3903, 347-324-3903. This week I'm on my way up to Schenectady, New York, and we're going to enlighten some people and pray to open up some minds there at Union College, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to the cold, so I'm yet praying that the climate science will work in my favor and warm that area before I get there in a few days. But definitely it's open to the public. If you go on our Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook fan page, you'll see more details there. And then we also are going to be coming on to ATL in the following week. We're going to close out this month in ATL and up in Inman, South Carolina, with some more students, open the month with students, going to close the month with students at the elementary school. But March 1st, the beginning of Oman, Her Story Month, we are going to be at the St. Helena Branch Library with a free showing of Wilmington on Fire, 6 p.m. sharp, March 1st. At the St. Helena Branch Library, we will show the film Wilmington on Fire. I will be there. Kent Chatfield and the filmmaker himself, Christopher Everett, will be there. We will have a panel discussion about Wilmington on Fire and about these issues that have been covered up for so long that were part of the revolution that was taking place when black people were enlightened and realized the economic empowerment factor, the practical use of those mathematics that they needed to have in order to generate wealth that would last for generations for their families, for their communities. And the systematic deconstruction of that and what took place through the Wilson race fires. And so we definitely want you to come out, bring the family come out all people it's open to everyone and we want you to be there with us and so if you want to make sure that you have all the information for that email us to g-u-l-l-g-e-e-c-o at aol.com and get on the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition's mailing list and also continue to follow at gullahgeecheenation.com this year the Queen Quet head from the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation so glad he hung a chill on the tune in one more again. 
the Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. Peace and blessings. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.